Hey everyone, it's me, Sarah, bringing you a conversation with Alexis. Something that struck me about hearing her story was the stark contrast between the content and the piece with which she shares it. This girl has been to hell and back with her ex-husband, but she is marked by profound peace and forgiveness and grace. She's a Christian and her faith is a huge part of her story. Side note, as often happens in these episodes, all names and locations have been changed in order to protect everyone involved. Please be aware that this story contains domestic violence, death, and suicidal ideation. If you have struggled to forgive someone in your life, I encourage you to listen to the end and hear what Alexis has to say. I hope her experience can fill you with hope and help you to let go. My name's Alexis. I am from Oklahoma. A little bit of background. I had kind of a weird childhood. My biological mom didn't really raise me. Um, She was into drugs, things like that. I had a really great dad. I still have a really great dad. My biological mom came around more so when I was an adult after I had had my first child. My stepmom now is fantastic. I had a previous stepmom that raised me. They divorced when I was 11, and I just started learning how to figure out life at that point, how to take care of myself and, you know, take things as they come. I met my ex on Plenty of Fish. I was just turning 19 when we met. I had a one-year-old daughter when we met. I had her two days before I turned 18. And then we started dating within a few days of me turning 19 and her turning a year old. When we met, I didn't introduce him to her, you know, even that first week or anything, but he was kind and he was caring and he was sweet. He was handsome, easy to talk to. We stayed up until three, two, three o'clock in the morning, just talking on our very first date. And we had a lot of the same ideas and thoughts and lifestyles and all the things I said I wanted were all the things that he wanted too. And so it just, it felt right. It felt perfect. Too good to be true, right? Within a month and a half, we had moved in together. So he had met your daughter by this point? Yes. So at this point he met her. We were dating a couple weeks and then he met her and he was just great with her. He didn't have any kids of his own. But he was so good with her. He was kind and he was patient and did things with her, like interacted with her as a normal father would, almost like he knew exactly what needed to be done. That must have worked his way right into your heart. (laughs) Yes, exactly that. I was like, oh my goodness, like she deserves this. I deserve this. It was perfect. Literally just absolutely perfect. And you said you were 19. How old was he? Also 19. I mean, we were babies and he was just so great with her. And she thought he hung the moon. She eventually started calling him dad. I mean, her dad lives out of state and she visited him. We have no issues there or anything, but he was the one that was in her everyday life. And so all she ever knew was she had two dads. And so we just, that's what it was. I got along fine with his family. We never really had any issues. A majority of his family is out of state. And his mom, stepdad, and stepbrothers are here. And then all of my family is pretty much here. My family would tolerate him. They didn't particularly love him. 
there became a point where my biological mom and my stepdad did not want him around. They were like, he's not allowed here. If, if I wanted them to come visit, they would not come over if he was home. Now, this is your biological mom that you said didn't really raise you. She struggled with drugs back in the day. But now it sounds like you do have a relationship with her. Mm -hmm. Did they ever express to you why they were uncomfortable with him? They just felt like he was self-centered. And they felt like sometimes the things he would say to me weren't kind. And then they also said, like, we were just moving way too fast. They didn't think that we should be moving in together, you know, a month and a half into being together. And while I understood what they were saying, I disagreed because I knew what they didn't see. He was great. He was charming. He was sweet. He was all these things. So I did it anyway. And so they just really didn't care for him. And sometimes they would even, my dad and them too, like they never outright said we don't like him, but they were always kind of standoffish. Like they'd be polite, but they didn't go out of their way to strike up a conversation with him. And he would always do what he could to kind of churn those things. You know what I mean? Just kind of cause an issue between me and my family or, you know, things like that. And so it was almost like I had to rely solely on him and his mom because that's what I felt like I had. And that started kind of early on, truthfully, it was, and it would be little things like your mom is doing this or that, and I don't appreciate it. I'm like, oh, you know what? You're, you're right. And so I'd get mad at her and it would be stupid things. I can't even think of a straight example right now, but it'd be stupid things. And unfortunately, because you already know there's tension, you you tend to think, oh, he's right. He is kind of being wronged. Right. And specifically with my biological mom, he knew there was already kind of a rocky, non-steady relationship there. And he definitely took advantage of that specifically with her. That made things hard because it was like all my life I wanted her around And now that we were kind of trying to do that, it was like I was seeing things through his point of view that were, they were accurate, but not 100% accurate. That was hard. And he definitely used that as ammunition. There's just enough truth to justify or get you to believe it. Wow. Yes, exactly that. And his family, like when we'd go visit out of state, they were always super kind, super helpful, super sweet, really great people. And I started to notice people would say like, he's very self-centered. He talks about himself so much. He's just kind of blatant and he can be kind of rude with his words, things like that. And I would brush it under the rug. Like that's just how he was raised. Going to the state where he was from and interacting with people in general there, they kind of seem that way anyways. Like they're not quite as Southern as we are down here in hospitable manner of thank you, please. Let me hold this door for you there. You hold the door for somebody and they kind of look at you like you're silly. So I kind of was able to brush that under the rug, but his family wasn't always that way when we would be there. They were kind and considerate. And so it never really made sense fully. It was just easy to brush away. Some of the red flags, though, I've already mentioned, you know, just kind of rude, self-centered, things like that. According to other people, you weren't seeing this yet. (laughs) Right. I was not seeing this yet. I was just hearing these things from people that were bringing it to my attention. And I'm like, you guys are just silly. 
Well, they're not the object of his affection right now. You are. so Right. Right. Exactly. And so I did kind of start seeing small red flags, but again, was brushing them under the rug. Some of the small ones were like getting upset with me over things. Like we'd be at home and we would disagree and he would get loud. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry. Like, I just disagree with you. And so those were things and he'd be mad for a little while and then he'd apologize. And I, over time, started to realize, why was I apologizing for that? Whatever it's done. There would be, even within the first month of living together, um, absolutely within the first month of living together, we had like a little get together, like this is our first apartment, blah, blah, blah. And there was drinking and we were underage. I remember we started arguing and I don't remember what it was about. And I just kept telling him, and this happens a lot. This becomes a pattern where I'm like, well, you just listen to me. I'm trying to tell you something because he would talk over me or yell over me. It was like, I had no voice. Like I would try to talk and he would just shut it down. And there was one night in particular where that was happening. And it was this very first get together we had at our apartment together. Everyone had left and I'm telling him something and he would not listen. And he started getting upset and was gently, but not so gently pushing me up toward the wall and like pushing me into the wall. Later, like finally we, we just went to bed and I remember the next day he was just distraught. I am so sorry. I was drunk. I shouldn't have done that to you. I'm like, I get it. It's okay. Sometimes people do things unintentionally. It's no big deal. Don't worry about it. And that became a pattern. It wasn't every time he would drink. It was like almost quarterly. Now looking back, like it was like it was almost on a cycle. So those were things that I had noticed. And then I started realizing his money was his money. He could spend it however he wanted to. My money was our money. My money that I earned from work was to pay the bills. It paid all the utilities, all the vehicles, all the things. His check paid the rent and whatever else he wanted to spend it on. So if I wanted to get my nails done, I would have to ask permission. And he'd be like, no, we can't afford it. But then we'd go out and buy something extremely expensive. At this point in my life, I was still wearing clothes I had in high school while he would go and buy himself new whatevers. It was like I I had to start early on separating money that he didn't know came in. I would get child support from my, for my daughter and I started separating that and kind of spending that without his knowledge so I could get things. That was really difficult and I was like, why am I I shouldn't have to do this, but you know what? If it keeps things, if it keeps the peace, so be it. Well, in the midst of all this, like he was like, I really want to have a baby with you. Like within a couple months, I want to have a baby with you. You're a great mom. I've always wanted to have two or three, four kids. And I'm like, yeah, I see how you are with my daughter. Let's do it. So we try for a long time and it never happened. I had a lot of like womanly problems that were preventing that from happening. Mm -hmm. Finally, about two years in, I did end up pregnant. 
it got to a point where he wasn't really helpful during my pregnancy. Whenever I went to labor with my son, he went to the hospital with me and everything, but he left. And so I was at the hospital by myself in labor majority of the time. When the doctor comes in and she's like, it's time to push, I'm calling him and he's nowhere to be found. Finally, he shows up right before my son is actually born. Well, my son had to go to NICU because the cord was around his neck. And he's like, well, what do I do? And I'm like, well, go with him. I'm fine. My son also was jaundiced. So he was able to get released from the hospital in normal time, but we had to take the lights home with us. We're not allowed to take him out of the lights unless we are changing his diaper or feeding him. Well, something I haven't mentioned yet is my ex used to work out of town all the time. So he was only home every other weekend. Sometimes he would work in town and he'd be home consistently. You just never really knew with his job. And so he immediately went back to work and was gone. And it was just me, a toddler and a newborn by myself after having a baby. I'm like, can you help me? I need you to come home, like request to work in town. He's like, no, you wanted this baby. You can take care of it. What? Yeah. Did he not have paternity leave? Sometimes they don't, but. They, I don't remember. I know that they offered, like, if you want to work in town during this time, you can. So that at least he'd be home at night and, you know, things like that. And he didn't. He was like, no, it's fine. She's fine. And went to work out of town. This baby that you wanted. Yeah, he's like, you wanted this baby. You can take care of it. That's how he viewed it. And very rarely would he help. There would be nights where if my son would wake up in the night, I always got up. And on the off chance he would wake up, he'd get mad at me. You need to go get him. He's crying. Why aren't you doing something? I'm like, can you help me? And he's like, no, you wanted this baby. You go take care of it. That was just a recurring thing for a very long time. So that was a big red flag that was really difficult One that I just now thought of, you're going to have to piece this backwards. We were together about a year and I got really bad kidney stones. I got really, really sick. I had been on antibiotics, but they weren't working. So finally, I got just enough energy to take my daughter to daycare and I went to the emergency room. I became septic because... The antibiotics weren't working. And so the infection got into my bloodstream and I was in ICU for a week. He came up there one time. He stayed five minutes and he left. That was the first time I left. I was like, that's not okay. You should have been there with me. And so I left. You left him a year in? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well... I had nowhere to go. And so I went back to the state that my daughter's father lives in. And I stayed with them for a couple weeks, I think. Of course, I'm calling him and he's like, let me talk to your daughter. I miss her. You know, all these things. I was like, well, I mean, you've never done anything wrong to her. And so I would let him talk to her. And this is well before we had my son. So he was still talking to her. We were talking every day. And he's like, I know I was wrong. I should have been there for you. Hospitals freaked me out. So I went home and I went back. And things were great for a while. Slowly, the patterns started again. The arguments started again. And I always called it arguing in circles. 
because it was like, we'd have the same argument constantly, but nothing would ever change. One of the things he would do all the time is, I can't wait to build a house with you. I can't wait to buy a house and have a forever home with you. If you come home, specifically in this time, if you'll come home, we'll start paying things off and saving money to buy a house. Great. I'm tired of renting. Let's do it. I went home. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. It was so much future faking that every time I would threaten to leave or every time that I would say I was leaving or every time I would leave, even just for a little while, well, we're going to build a house. We're going to have all these things together. I want this life with you. Okay. Okay, but you have to show me. And he'd do great. And then he wouldn't. It would go right back to the usual. The next thing that happened is we had gone to a baseball game. At that baseball game, I was like, you know, you keep saying we're going to get married. Why don't we just do it? And he's like, okay, fine. Timeline wise, where are you now? Are you two years in? You've had your son? I think we're three years, four years in. Okay. So your son is two. Mm -hmm. Your daughter is? My daughter is one. So my daughter or my son would be one because he was born in 18. Right. Okay. Yeah. So timeline wise, we're four years in. My son is a year old. My daughter is four. Got it. We go to a baseball game. We're having a great time. For some reason, he's on the up. He was on a good pace. We were doing great at this point. And I'm like, you know, you keep saying we're going to get married. We're going to build this life together. Why are we waiting? Let's just do it. We've been together this this long. There's no sense. Like we're pretty much married. We're living a married life. Let's just do it. And he's like, fine, let's do it. I'm like, cool. Really? And he's like, yeah, let's just get married. And I said, are you being serious? Like I can start planning a wedding or we can elope. And he's like, yeah, start planning it. I am pumped. Like I'm like, finally, we go home that night and that night we got hit by a tornado. It took out both of our vehicles. It took out the whole front of our house. If it weren't for the grace of God, we wouldn't have lived that night because we had barely gotten home and barely gotten in the door. And this giant tree in our front yard, the tornado picked it up and threw it into our vehicles. So if we hadn't gotten inside when we did, we would have been crushed inside the vehicle. Later, this was my fault because I put too much pressure on him about getting married. And so if that weren't the case, we would have been at the game longer and wouldn't have even been home at all when this happened. And I'm like, okay. I'm having trouble. This is absurd. This is a stretch. (laughs) Absurd is a better word. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's my fault. And I'm like, okay, you know, like now we're on to figuring out the next step, replacing all these things. This is a traumatic event in, in itself. And extremely expensive. Yes. And so we're filing insurance claims. We had to stay with his mom during the summer time so that our house could be fixed. We had to replace our vehicles, all these things. And in the midst of that, we're planning to get married in August. And so we're doing all these things. The night before we got married, we all went out. We all went downtown. This is before like I changed my life around. So I was into the party scene a little bit. 
And so we all went downtown. We're all drinking. We're all at this bar. And he tells me this person at the bar has cocaine. And he knows how I feel about drugs. I'm not okay with this. Do not do this. I told him, if you do this, wedding is off. I will not marry you and I will leave. Was there any history of drugs with him up until now or between the two of you? I knew that like in high school and like through his life, he was a huge partier in high school. All his high school stories were about parties and everything. So I knew that there were, like he was familiar with it. I knew that it was something he would absolutely do. Like he was into party drugs. And so I was like, if you do this, I'm done. Drugs are a no-go for me. I'm not okay with them. And he knew I was serious. I wasn't kidding around with it. The guys went one way and the women went another way. And then we met back up later. When we met back up later, I could tell he was a little different. Like he was kind of being standoffish from me. Like they, all the guys were kind of keeping to themselves in one spot of the next place we were at. And we were all kind of on our own, but I didn't think too much into it. The next morning, our wedding day, I'm getting myself ready, my daughter ready. He has our son and he's calling me, screaming at me. You should have him. I shouldn't be responsible for him today. I need to get ready and I can't because of your son. All these things. I'm like, there's so much more for me to do to get ready than there is for you. We agreed on this previously. So he's mad. And I just remember thinking, what do I do? Like, why is he acting like this? And I could feel it in my stomach. The Lord was telling me, you are not supposed to marry him. And based on his behavior, like I knew it was wrong. But here it is, wedding day. All these people are coming. My parents and his parents already put money into this. He has family coming from out of state that are already here. And so if I stop it, I feel bad. Like I feel guilty and I don't want everybody to hate me. You know what I mean? And how do you tell everybody? How do you get them to understand? You can't. Yeah. You're going to be the back. The pressure is too much. <laughs> yes. And so I did it. It was so much. It was so heavy. And so I went through with it. And honestly, looking back, the day of my divorce, I took a picture with my divorce papers. And I was like, I am a different person. And I put them side by side, my divorce picture next to my wedding day picture. And they look different. You can see the misery in my eyes, in my wedding picture, the sadness. I'm just like, praise God for getting me out of that. You know, it's just crazy to see the pictures. We got married. We go to Nashville for our honeymoon. While we're in Nashville, he tells me he did cocaine the night before our wedding. And I'm like, you did what? He's like, I did cocaine. I said, well, why did you hide it? Why didn't you tell me? He said, because I knew when you told me you would not marry me, you were telling the truth. So now you're stuck. You've already married me. And so now I can tell you. Well, he's right. I'm stuck. I'm, I'm already here. I have to let it go. Don't tell anybody. Just keep it to myself like I have everything else. Then let's kind of move forward into 2020. Because obviously in this timeline, there's all these little things that are happening, all the arguing, all the little things. 
But then in 2020, he gets in a motorcycle accident. He tore three of the four ligaments in his knee and stretched one. His wrist was broken real bad and they had to put uh, metal on each side of it. He had worked nights the night before and I was with my grandmother who we were going to be putting into a home soon. She had cancer, it's COVID, all these things. So he had come over there. He had drank a couple beers and then decided to go home to go to bed. Got in the accident. Next thing I know, this accident made things so much worse than they already were. He's on pain pills and he's drinking and he's sitting around doing nothing and barking orders at me if something isn't done quickly enough or if the house isn't clean enough or if the kids are upset while I'm trying to cook dinner or, you know, just all these things. He's there nonstop. In this, there was a day I'm working from home. The kids are at daycare and his mom comes to pick him up for a doctor appointment. He's struggling with his walker. He had been in a, in a wheelchair, but he had graduated to a walker. He had gotten upset over something and chunked his walker across the room at me with his mom standing there. Later, he's like, I wasn't trying to throw it at you. I was just frustrated. So I threw it. I'm like, okay, great. You know, and I just kind of keep to myself. That same year in October, things were just terrible. I had hit my breaking point. I was done. I could not take any more. I grabbed a gun from our closet and I went to the garage and he shut the door behind me and was like, just do it and shut the door behind me. I'm standing in the garage. I've got this gun ready to go. And I remember, and it was almost audible. This is not your time and your kids need you. I just started crying. I'm like, okay, okay. This has got to be the Lord telling me to, to stop. This isn't my time. I go back inside and when I walk in, he goes, I knew you wouldn't do it because you're a chicken. A couple months later, it's Christmas. I'm trying to get things ready to get out the door for all the things we've got to do that day. I'm not moving quickly enough for him. And we're arguing. And I just, I told him, I said, I am done. I am so done arguing with you. He goes and he grabs that same gun, puts it down on the counter in front of me and said, you should have done it and walks off. It's Christmas. Like, what do I do with that? I just hold my composure. We go on about Christmas like nothing ever happened. Finally, at this point, I start listening to something was wrong and I'm listening to your story and I'm listening to other people's stories and I'm like, all these things are not normal. What I'm dealing with is not normal. Holy crap. So something that shocked me later going back and reading your timeline is that you were still with him when you first heard that podcast. Mm -hmm. You're in everything. That's This is what blows my mind. It was like listening to the podcast. I was like, okay. But it, then I started kind of getting in my own head. Like, am I projecting these things? Am I listening to this so much that I'm making things up? Am I valid? And then I finally went to the pastor's wife in January of 21. And I told her what was going on. She said, Alexis, this is not normal. This is unhealthy. You have to get out. I said, 
but marriage is sacred, right? The Bible tells us like we're supposed to honor our marriage and, you know, and she's like, God does not want you in an unhealthy situation that is going to cost your life. And so she went with me to file a protective order. I did. And he was served. And within about a week, I felt terrible. I felt so guilty for filing a protective order. I was like, I I don't know that I've given it a hundred percent. Maybe this is the thing that will change him. Maybe this is it because the good was good, right? The good, the love bombing, it was great. So I'm like, okay, maybe this is it. Maybe, maybe he'll see this is serious. And I went back after that. Things were really good for about a month. Then it turned into, you ruined my life. You caused me all this money and attorney fees. Because I also filed for divorce that day that I filed the protective order. And so he had retained an attorney the week that we were separated. And he was like, you caused me all this money and an attorney. You destroyed my life. You have me in the system all these things. I was like, and I'm I'm trying to help. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I did that. And I'm apologizing for what he did. Fast forward in the midst of all these years, I always had a feeling he was also cheating on me. He's working out of town. Sometimes he'll quit responding. You know, sometimes he'll go nights without talking to me. And I started looking through his phone. That summer, I started finding concrete proof. I saw pictures, messages. I found all these things. And I finally was like, enough. This is enough. He denied it. He said none of it was true. And I'm just hanging on. I don't even know what to do. I have nowhere to go. I can't afford to live on my own. I just don't know what to do. I'm stuck. I remember just feeling stuck, just feeling miserable in the midst of all this. After I had gone back after that week apart and we're working on things, he's like, you can't go to that church anymore. It's a cult. You can't go to that church anymore because they know what I did. And you put me in the system because of them. So I quit going to church and I start falling back and backsliding again. Finally, once I saw that I started picking up on pieces that he was cheating on me. I started finding proof that he was cheating on me. And I started going to church again because I'm like, God, you have to help me because there's no other way. I don't know what else to do. There's nothing I can do. And I'm just begging God, like change him, change me. If I need to change, like fix it. I don't, I don't know what to say. Just fix it. And so I started going back to church and he's like, it's a cult. I can't believe you're going there. And I just kept going. Finally, in October, I had had my fill and I just told him one night and I was terrified. The whole week I planned on telling him I'm done, I'm leaving. And I had people on backup ready to hold on to my kids for me and safe places to run to because I was terrified. What ended up happening is he was working out of town and I had a friend over. We were doing like social media posts and stuff, creating content for Monate. We do Monate together. I was not answering my phone because I had it put away. We were using her phone for videos and stuff. He was two hours away. And because I was not answering my phone, he came home and was mad that I was not answering my phone. That you weren't responding. Yes. Okay. 
she felt very uncomfortable. So she left. And that's the night that he looked at me and this was all God. There's no other way to explain it because I was so scared to tell him like I couldn't do it anymore. And he looked at me and he said, do you even want to be with me? And as calm as I could, I just looked at him and I said, no. And he goes, wait, or do you want a divorce? And I go, yeah, I do. I can't do this anymore. And he's like, fine, you've got it. And I was like, okay, I can't just leave. He said, well, I'm not leaving. So you can stay here until you find something, but this is my house. I was like, okay, fine, have it. I don't care. I don't want it. I will leave. Finally, a couple weeks goes by and I get a place and I get moved out. No sooner did I move out, his new girlfriend moved in. Within, I usually say like within a couple of days, but it could have been a week, maybe two, but it, it was very, very, very soon. He had told my daughter, I still love you. I want to be part of your life. You can come over on the weekends that our son comes over. That was the plan. By December, her birthday also is in December. The day of her birthday, he put all her stuff on my front porch and said, I want nothing to do with her. She's never really understood it. You know, six years of her life on her seventh birthday, he decides he wants nothing to do with her. But we just kept going. You know, we just took it day by day. My son started coming home telling me things that he was seeing. We had to file a report. Actually, his school, his daycare filed the first report because he told the daycare. Then he told us, so we had to file a report. He didn't see him for about two months while we were going back and forth on a protective order hearing and DHS doing their investigation. And ultimately, they rolled it unsubstantial because their girlfriend wouldn't admit anything happened. There just wasn't any concrete proof. In all this, their girlfriend is pregnant. Backing up a little bit, he told me after we had my son that because I had so many issues Overall, for my health, a, a hysterectomy was best. There were alternative things that we could do, but he pushed. He was like, I don't want any more kids. Just have the hysterectomy. And I did. He pushed for it, so I did it. I learned later that that is considered contraceptive abuse that I never knew existed. In the midst of my healing process, he wasn't there. I was not supposed to lift anything over a gallon of milk, but I'm home with two kids by myself. Didn't have a choice. It was hard. It was really hard and it really sucked, but I just did it because what other choice was there? And sorry, just to clarify, when in the timeline did this happen? Was this while you were married? Yeah, we were married at this point. Yeah, it was 2019. So it would have been right before the tornado. Wait, so... So before we were married. Before you were married. Mm -hmm, before the tornado. And so my son was close to a year old because he was born in 18. Wow. So I'm, I'm home with a five-year-old and a one-year-old, not supposed to lift anything over a gallon of milk. But then you mentioned things were so good around this time that you were thinking, well, let's just make this official and get married. I don't know that I thought they were good. I think I was, I'm already here. You know what I mean? This is the life we're in. Also, we have this child. 
maybe if we get married, things will get better. I was going to ask about that, about where you think your mind was and what you thought marriage would bring you. I think that I was hoping it would get better because then at that point we're united as one and maybe he would see me differently. Maybe at this point he'll look at me and say, this is my wife. I should honor her rather than this is just my girlfriend. Yeah. It's amazing how we are wired to think that that's what would happen when oftentimes it just makes things worse. Yeah. Most of the time. It did. And and it did. After the filing of everything, my son started going back to his dad's and visiting her normal. And things were fine for a while. Then he came home not long ago, actually, telling us something else big happened and another report. It's just sad that my son, after all this fighting to get my children out of this situation and to get myself out of this situation, he's still in it. The programs and the people that are supposed to work on behalf of the kids can't. They can't do anything. And that really sucks when your system can't help you. So we just had to just trust that God would protect my child and the girlfriend and her child and... That's what we did. Very shortly, like after finally getting out, it was really difficult because all of that had become my normal. I just started trying to figure out ways to cope, ways to heal. I became even more involved in my my church and stuff than I was. And I just started pouring into my church and allowing people to pour back into me. I started learning how to lean on my church family and the people that truly cared about me. I started learning what it felt like to actually be loved by people. And I started learning that God puts people in your life to lean on and that you don't have to go through these things alone. I had people that when I was having a hard time, I could call or I could text and just pray for me. I'm struggling, you know, things like that. I continued listening to podcasts. And then I started working for an organization that works with people that have been through domestic violence, sexual assault, human trafficking, things like that. In working here, I have access to trainings and, you know, things like that, that have educated me on abusers and why they are the way they are and why they do the things they do. I've been able to access a lot of really cool things. I've relied a lot on, again, like podcasts and books, music. Music has always been something that has been great for me as an outlet. I can't sing at all, but I do, you know, at home by myself because to me, like music speaks through me. That was one of the really big things for me. And if it's okay, I want to kind of share some resources that helped me a lot during this time and still help me. There are some Bible plans that I I highly recommend that I still will go back to and do again from time to time if I feel like I'm struggling. My absolute favorite one is When Love Turns Toxic, Finding Freedom from Emotional Abuse. A lot of people I feel like say... You know, there's not really anything about abuse in the Bible or there's strict circumstances as to divorce and things like that. But I want to encourage people that God does not want that for you. He doesn't want you in danger. He loves you. It took me a while to kind of pick up on that and realize that and know that 
it was okay for me to leave this bad situation. And that Bible plan helps so much because it pulls scripture and it it helps you understand like what I'm doing is okay. I'm not wrong for choosing to better myself and choose life. Another one is from Trauma to Triumph. It talks about just working through trauma because it's real. The world we live in, there's trauma. And I think sometimes people feel like as a Christian or as people involved in church, like you're supposed to push it under the rug, like it doesn't exist. And that's just not true. I just want to encourage people with that. A really good podcast is, I can't remember her name, but she's a doctor and she works specifically with abusers and it's called Unmasking the Abuser. And she tells you the qualities that abusers have, the different types of abusers, how they're similar, how they're different. That in itself has brought me so much healing because for a long time, it was like, well, maybe he doesn't realize he's doing it. And through that podcast, I learned they know what they're doing. It's like, wow, okay, we need to hold these people accountable. I'm going to find that podcast so I can list it in the show notes along with everything else. But I'm blown away. I did not know that that existed. It's really good. And that I think out of, I haven't listened to all of it, but that was the one that really stuck out to me the most. That particular episode was... What a resource. Yeah. There's also a book I have not finished. I've been listening to it on Audible and it's called, Why Does He Do That? That is a really good book. The author prefaces that this can be geared towards anybody, regardless of if you're male or female or whatever. It's across the board because sometimes what people don't realize is there's these women that talk about being abused, but men are abused too. And that's not talked about enough. And so as they go through this book, if you are a guy that is being abused, just switch that verbiage in the book. It says he, but put she, because it goes both ways. Working where I work, I've, I've been able to see some of that. It's a little less common, but it's there and it's real and it happens. And they need just as much love and encouragement as women do. They need to feel like they have a voice and can speak up on this too. And I think that the more men that are willing to take that step, the better, because that just helps these other men that are dealing with it know that they're not alone. I really want to encourage not only these women that are dealing with things, but these men too. Like this is just across the board. And I think that that's important. So there are a lot of things that I do for healing. I am remarried and it's really great to see how someone should be loved. We actually met through church and we were friends before we got together and were dating and things like that. His ex-wife also goes to our church. She is fantastic. They have a child together. And one of the biggest things for me was seeing how he treated his ex-wife from the outside, seeing how he treated her, even though they're not together and seeing how he treated his child when people weren't paying attention. I knew he was a good person. Like I could see it before we were ever even together. And so that makes a huge difference. And now I find so much healing in that, like seeing what it's like to actually be loved and to actually be loved is seeing that he puts the Lord before me and he chases after him so that he can then love me better. I've never experienced that. 
were there some other things, and this is putting you on the spot, so it might be hard to pull up, but what were some other things that stood out to you as a contrast when you were getting to know him and becoming interested in him? It sounds like you had had a chance to observe him before you two mm-hmm. were romantically interested. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I would say the biggest thing is whenever he would tell people that he was going to do something, he followed through. There was always a follow through. You know, seeing that he would open the door for his ex-wife. He was in church and communicating with her and, you know, that they were kind to one another and that it was clear to the outside they had a decent relationship. They got along well. Like, yeah, it didn't work out, but that doesn't mean you have to fight and argue and hate each other. That says worlds. <laughs> it does. It really does. And I will say, like, honestly, I think that that was one of the biggest things for me, because if you can treat your ex-wife with that amount of respect, and if you can take your differences and just put your child first, that's all I need. You know what I mean? Like seeing that in itself was probably one of the first things that was like, I I kind of like this man. Like he's not only is he good looking, but he's also got this huge heart. Now I see more clearly like how to love people. And like, even when we would date, when we were dating and stuff, if we had a minor disagreement, he would hear me. He wouldn't talk while I was talking and he would hear what I would say. And still like, that's, I don't think we've ever had a big argument. Like we bicker. If we disagree, like, well, here's what I think, but here's what I think. And then that's it. You know what I mean? Like there's no fighting. There's no slamming doors. There's no, my kids feeling scared. There's none of that. So my nervous system went from running on high my entire life from my childhood all the way through my adult life to now it's gone down and it's like, okay, wait a minute. This is okay. This is normal. We can slow down. People say like whenever your nervous system is so used to running on high that whenever it starts to regulate, you start feeling tired all the time. That is so true. I will find myself just like, I am so tired. I've not done anything, but I am so tired. And I truthfully believe that it is because my body is like, wait a minute, I can rest. Yeah, you spent so many years in fight or flight that now your body is rebalancing itself. You mentioned a few years ago when you were still with your ex and you were having, you said, womanly problems, you were struggling. I know that being in a state of fight or flight or stress can affect our hormones. It can affect our fertility. Do you Mm -hmm. feel that 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 your situation played into your health at that time? Yeah. Yeah, I really do. There were even times, because I used to get sick a lot while we were together. I would go down and I just felt like my body was just attacking me. There would be times I would feel like, which I now know a lot of them were panic attacks, but there would also be times that it was different than just a panic attack. Like it would feel like my heart was achy And it would go all the way down, like a shooting pain would go down my arm and my hand would go numb. It would happen like once every couple of months. But since I've left, it's never happened again. I give glory to God on that because I prayed against it. And I also believe that that's also a sign that my nervous system was going back to a normal and figuring out what a normal is. I truly believe that that did play a role. My body was like, this is not right. My body was screaming at me and I wasn't listening. 
oh, it can turn into gut problems. It can turn Mm -hmm. into sleep, headaches. I mean, it can manifest in Mm -hmm. many ways. Did you notice a difference in how your family received your current husband versus your ex? Yes. Yes. My dad, particularly. If I cared what anybody in this world had to think about my life or who I'm with or anything, it is my dad. My dad told me we like him. He feels like one of our own. I want you to know that. And I've never felt that way about either one of your exes. And with him, we truly, we like him and he feels like family. And that was just meeting him once. That really meant a lot to me. Also, he's a welcoming person. He's very, let me ask about you. How are you? And people-oriented and not self-oriented. And I think that that made a huge difference with my family too. My family, they just think he's hung the moon. They think he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I'm just thankful because I think that. And so for my family to love him as much as I do really means a lot. must take a huge weight off of you because I would imagine at the beginning with your ex, you felt like people just didn't understand or maybe they would eventually, but did you feel any sense of responsibility to mediate or to get them to understand? 100%. There's like an extra energy or effort required of you that is just, it might even be hard to rewire yourself this time and go, oh, I can sit back. I don't have to mediate. I don't have to constantly be refereeing between my partner and my family. Right, exactly. And what you said is exactly right. It was like I was constantly... When something was really good, I would make it an over-the-top, like, look how great this is because I wanted them to like him. I wanted to compensate for him. I don't have to do that anymore. You know, I can, we can just be. And one of the biggest things for me, too, is even after I left, I could go visit my family and I could stay as long as I wanted to. I didn't get these texts from across the room of, I'm ready to go. Or these glares from across the room saying, we've been here too long now. After I left, it's like, I can go. And if I want to spend an entire day with my dad, I can. My husband, yeah, let's go. You want to go spend the whole day at your dad's? Let's go. That is like a breath of fresh air. It's amazing the little things that are so amazing and such a relief. Mm but they're so normal. They are, right? They're so normal, but it's like, wait a minute. Are we sure this is normal? Because you're you're not used to that. Actually, the very first thing I did whenever I was moving into my new house when I left, I moved on a weekend that we decided it would be his weekend so that I could move. And he had both of my kids and I didn't even have gas on yet. So it was freezing cold. Your ex had your two kids. This is when you were moving. Okay. And I went and I was like, I'm staying here. I don't care. I am staying here. This is my place. I did this. And I had an air mattress because I left with nothing. The only things I took was one of my kids' bed because it was a trundle bed. They'd have a place to sleep. I took one of their dressers and half their toys, all my clothes, in one of the three sets of like pots of hands and stuff. So I left with next to nothing. I had no bed. I had no furniture. I had no TVs, nothing. I was bound and determined. I am staying here tonight. 
it was so cold. It was like 40 degrees. It was like 30, 40 degrees. And I just laid on this air mattress with six or seven blankets. And I was like, I'm going to vacuum. And this is going to be the silliest thing you've ever heard. But I felt like I needed to do something. And I was there by myself. It's my first night alone. So I was like, I'm, I'm going to vacuum. And so I vacuumed the floor of this new house. I specifically made it a point to leave my vacuum out in the middle of the floor because I could. He wasn't going to scream and yell at me for the vacuum not being put away. And I could do it. If I tripped over the vacuum, that was my fault. And I left it in the middle of the floor for two weeks. I walked around it. I told my kids, you walk around it because I could. And I know it sounds silly, but it's like, that was my independence. That was me saying, I can do what I want to do. I have me back. That little thing was so freeing for me. I want to encourage people with that because even though it may sound silly or seem silly, like in your head or whatever, it's not. Whatever it is that you have to do to get yourself back, do it. Who cares what other people think? Just do it. And so I really, I started learning who I am, what I like. I started enjoying my kids instead of feeling like I constantly had to be getting onto them for things because I was terrified for him to get onto them that I would scream and yell at them like crazy because I'd rather it be me than him. My kids and I started gaining a better relationship. My daughter, who's a very reserved child, started telling me things that she saw that I thought I had them sheltered from. It was really hard, these waves, but without it, I don't think my kids and I would be as close as we are now. I don't think I would be who I am now. And as much as it sucked, I wouldn't change any of it because I have a testimony I can share with others to help them through these things. I think that that's what God's called me to do is to just help these other other people that are struggling and encourage them because really that's what you need. For me, that's what I needed. I needed that you're doing a good job. I needed the, I see you, I hear you, you're not alone. And so I try really hard to do that for people. In my job, I can't really share a whole lot of my story. I, I'm not really allowed to share my faith. But what I can do is I can encourage them. I'm proud of you. I see what you're doing. I see that you're taking the right steps. I see that you're doing what's best for your child, even when it's hard. That little bit, you can see these people in the way that that shifts them. That little bit of hope, they're able to say, wow, thank you. You know, because you feel so small. And they might not be hearing that from anybody right. in that moment. Exactly. Exactly. So there's been a lot of different things I've been able to do to find healing. There's a lot of different things that I'm just so much more grateful for now than I think I would have been in the past had I not gone through the things that I've been through. Now, where we're at is my ex has actually passed away very recently. What's very crazy with that is my son had come home and told us something really big had happened again. And of course, we had to file a DHS report. We had to start taking steps to make sure my child was safe. A week 
later to the day is when he passed away. And during this whole week, you know, DHS went and talked to them. DHS came and talked to me. DHS talked to my children at the school. When DHS came and talked to me, you know, it's crazy. I kept, I kept getting this, your son is going to be safe. He's going to be okay. You're going to have him full time. And it was just like this. I just knew. And I couldn't explain it, but I just knew. Well, DHS comes and they talk to me. I got a little discouraged because she's like, there's no proof. I, I believe you. I believe your child, but there's no concrete proof. I can't do anything. And so I got discouraged. And then about an hour later, I got this. He's going to be safe. He's going to be okay. You're going to have him full time. And it was just this continuous like, okay, like, I, I don't know what that means, but okay. And then just a couple da- days later, his dad had passed away. It all made sense. And while I don't wish that upon anybody, I really struggled with being a believer. I don't want anybody to go to hell. I care and I love people hard. And I didn't want that for him, regardless of how mean he was to me. I, I didn't want that for him. I just kept praying like, God, I hope that he took advantage of time to get right with you. And I started praying very specifically, if he's with you, here's what I need. And I'm like telling God very specifically, I didn't tell anybody what I was praying. I told my husband, I am praying very specifically, but I don't want to tell you what that is. He respected that. A week later, we went to church with my husband's parents and the pastor's wife comes up to me. She's like, I have a word for you. Can I share it? I fully believe you have to use discernment in these moments because sometimes I think people mean well, but it's not always accurate or maybe it's for somebody else or, you know, whatever. So I'm like, yeah, but my discernment is on. And she tells me your son's father and or Jesus are going to come to your children and comfort them in their dreams. And I'm like, what? And she says it again. And I just start crying. And I look at my husband and I said, that was it. That was it. And he's like, what are you talking about? Well, we go back to our seats. And I tell him, I said, I've been praying specifically, right? And I'm just crying. He's like, yeah. I'm like, I was praying so hard to God that if he made it to heaven, I would get some sort of confirmation through a dream, whether it was me, one of the kids, it would be through a dream. And when she said that, Not only did I believe her because I knew what I had been praying for that nobody else knew, but I felt a shift in my spirit that was like, this is true. This is from me. I was wrecked. I was like, oh my gosh, like God is just so good. I don't want anything bad to happen to people. And I don't want to go through life, you know, where my son is going to ask me what is my dad in hell. What am I supposed to say? First of all, that's not my place. I'm not the judge. Second of all, knowing that now I can confidently answer that question to my son. I'm just so grateful. You may not even need to. Mm -mm. Because what that says to me is God said, not only is your son safe, but I've got this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And the day his father, the day that we had told him his father passed away, he asked, is my dad in heaven? And at this point, like, who am I to say yes or no? How do we even answer this question? We don't have that answer. And I just thank the Lord for my husband so much in this moment because he told him, he said, well, buddy, we're, 
where do you think your dad is? And he said, heaven. And he said, okay, we're not going to tell him one way or the other. What a brilliant way to turn that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because I was like, I don't know what to do. (laughs) In the midst of all of it, we have just pushed so hard for my son to just know the good. Um, The little things that his dad would do with him. Those are the things that we've encouraged. We printed out a bunch of pictures of his dad and put them in an album. My son was very adamant about going. I don't know if I mentioned this, but he was in a motorcycle accident is how he actually passed away. And my son was very adamant for a few days about going to the accident site. And we decided to take him. As a five-year-old, I think he knew that he needed something tangible. So we took him out there and he wanted to know everything. He wanted to know where was his body. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know, baby. I I wasn't here. I don't know. My husband had actually found pieces, little small pieces of the motorcycle that were left behind. And so I asked him, I said, buddy, if I, if we found pieces of daddy's motorcycle, do you want it or would it make you sad? And he wanted it. And when my husband handed it to him, you could see the joy Like he was sad, but it was also like, almost like it was real and also just being thankful. Like he had something to hold on to. Like it was a a connection or some closure of some kind. Yes. So we found a few pieces that he has a little box now that he keeps like his pictures in and his little motorcycle pieces in. And my husband's ex-wife, again, she is phenomenal. We just love her, had told us when her father passed away, her mom told her that when she finds a penny, it's a sign that her dad is watching over her and that even as a grown adult, it helps her. And so we told my son that. And now anytime he sees a penny, he picks it up and he just gets so excited. And what we do is if we have some change, you know, we'll plant pennies around the house. We live in an apartment, so we'll plant them in a parking lot. We'll drop them in the middle of the store, you know, whatever, because we want to make the best of a traumatic situation for him. And we don't want him to think of all the bad things. We want him to remember his dad in the best way possible. The way that you've walked him through this and protected his perception and relationship with his dad and your ex is incredibly inspiring. Thank you. It's convicting for me. You know, I I hear not exactly the same stories, but I hear accounts of similar situations all the time. And your approach has just, it's paradigm shifting. It's really powerful. It's been a lot. And I really don't think, again, without our church family, there would be any way we could get through it. When it happened, I mean, here's the thing. And if I'm completely honest and transparent, there's a lot that came with that. I can't imagine how my husband felt watching his wife be sad and upset over somebody that hurt her so badly because it is hard. It does suck and it breaks my heart because this is somebody I loved at one point. It is somebody that gave me a child. And so it's hard. Also, my stepmom, the Lord really used her that night. I spoke to her and she said, now... They call me Dot. My mom and my my stepmom and my dad call me Dot. It's short for daughter. And she said, Dot, I don't want to sound insensitive, but I'm sure that there's relief. And I want you to know that that is okay. 
I do remember like taking this deep breath and letting it out and just not really pinpointing what it was that I was feeling, but knowing I felt better, but I also felt awful. For her to name that for me was really great. And I did feel very guilty for being relieved. And then I finally like just got this piece from God that it's okay to be relieved that your child, his other child, his girlfriend, you, you guys are never going to be hurt again. And it's okay to be relieved from that. That's been really, really good. It's That has been very healing. Our church family just being there when we're having a hard time and knowing that I have people that I can turn to and say, listen, we're struggling. Can you pray for us? And knowing we have people that will do that. Having a husband that chose not only when he married me to love my children as his own and to treat them as his own has been inspiring and remarkable. And now seeing that he really has to step up, you know, in this role for my son. But at the same time, like it hasn't changed anything because he was already doing those things. And now it's just making sure each of us are taking just that extra little step for him in this healing process in time and communication. My stepson and my daughter have been phenomenal through it. You know, my daughter is hurting too. She doesn't understand it, you know, and I think that something that's also hurting her is also going to be what heals her in this I think she always had this false hope that he would change his mind and decide he loved her again. And now that hope is completely gone. You know what I mean? And while that's hurtful, I think it's also going to bring her healing. And my stepson, he said, when my husband told him, he goes, well, dad, at least he has you. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you guys are so great. I love you so much. Oh, so I couldn't ask for more. I could not be more thankful from the moment that I met him all the way to current, I think that everything was perfectly orchestrated the way it was in order to help others and to love others. And I think that it makes me love people better. Absolutely. The timing is so not a coincidence. Mm -hmm. And knowing, God knowing this was coming, Mm -hmm. your kids and you had the protection and support around you that you would need in this time, because those are really complex emotions. The grief along with the relief, mm-hmm. such a mix of emotions and knowing that they can, and being reassured that they can both coexist. Yes. Your kids are going to each have a very separate journey through this, but there's been so much evidence already of the good and redemption that's coming through it that you know in the future that's going to continue to happen for both your son and your daughter. Yeah. It's already been yeah. coming in in droves. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad that you said that about like things coexisting because- That's something that I've learned recently is you can feel this way and also feel this way. They can exist together. They can coexist and it's okay for those things to happen. And I don't think enough people understand that. Yeah, because it is both. Mm -hmm. The reality is you are safe now. Yeah. But you're grieving the loss of something that once was and that person may never come back, but you fell in love with something. Right. With someone. And it was probably in him. He just, in his brokenness, wasn't capable of being that person. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, and then he did give you a son. You did have good times. You had memories. You essentially grew up together. You met when you were young. Right. And you had all those years together. You can't feel bad for grieving that when that wasn't even your reality anyway. It's so... Complex. It's complicated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is really where we are right now. And this is completely up to you if you want to put this in there or not. 
since his passing, his family being from out of state and having a life here also, they had a funeral here and they were also having one out of state. His mother had asked, you know, can I be there when you tell him? I said, no, this is something that I need to do as his mom. And then I did allow her to come over and see the kids and, you know, things like that. Because up to this point, she had still been involved in my daughter's life. Like she never completely excluded her. She would say, hey, can the kids come over for a little bit? And she would still do things with my daughter, not as much as my son, but was still attempting to be there. And so I let her come over and visit with the kids, offered her dinner, etc. Well, once I found out what time the services and everything were going to be out of state, I started making arrangements at my job to get to the other state for the funeral. I had everything lined out. I text his mom and let her know we're leaving Monday, we'll return Thursday. And she asked if my son could ride with her. And I told her no, because with his counselor, thankfully both of my kids are in counseling and have been for a little over a year now. She said that a lot of times what happens is the child will feel responsible for the adult's emotions. They see that they're struggling and they feel like they should make them feel better. They want to help them laugh or, you know, whatever. And so I just told her that. I was like, I don't want him to feel responsible. I want him to be surrounded by stability. And I want him to be able to grieve in his own way and not feel that pressure. From there, she just honestly just kind of lost it. She started texting like crazy. She started reaching out to my family members. She um, showed up at my house unannounced. She keyed my car. So there's a protective order. The very first hearing we had on the protective order, she showed up wearing what she wore to her son's funeral. She brought a piece of his motorcycle with her. She had a picture of him sitting in front of her, like for the judge to look at. She had recruited my own mother, my biological mother, to be there with her. Oh my gosh. Which my my biological mom and I, we don't have a great relationship even still. And so I kind of anticipated that happening just because I, I know her. So that was that. Well, they continued it. She had hired an attorney. They had me served with grandparent visitation paperwork, which is not really a thing in our state. But she's trying. I went, I got the new paperwork filed, and they extended our court date to another day, which is actually tomorrow for an approval or not on an extended protective order on behalf of myself and both of my children. In this, I have just been like, oh my goodness, this is so much. Like I I thought I had gotten out, you know what I mean? But here she is. And his girlfriend, we haven't really talked. Like I've never had anything ill towards her. I've only ever wanted to help her. When my son told us all this, this most recent round of events, I called her myself and was like, I, I want to help you. And she, of course, got upset and denial and such. But she contacted me yesterday. The mother had attacked her, physically attacked her. She is blaming her for the death. She blamed me for his death. She's blaming her husband's children for his death. 
has completely just gone off the rails. And my trauma therapist has said, this is not normal. This is not normal grieving. There's some sort of mental issue causing this. There's something wrong. And the girlfriend told me, she's like, now things are making more sense as to why some of the things were the way they were. And we had a really good conversation. She's going to go to court with me tomorrow. I'm going with her today to file a protective order and just be encouraging for her. And I'm just so thankful that God really showed up in this way because I didn't want my son to not know his baby sister. I think that maybe now we're moving into a direction where that is going to be okay. And maybe the girlfriend can find more healing. You can support each other now. It sounds like her eyes have been opened a mm-hmm. little more. Yeah. And that's, I'm hoping so. And my heart hurts for her because I can't imagine what she's dealing with. I remember his first accident and not knowing what was going on and not knowing how badly injured he was when I was going there. I didn't know his injury, so I didn't know, like, is he going to die? And how terrifying that was, even though things weren't great and how scary that was. And so where she's at right now, knowing that he's actually gone, I can't imagine her pain. And so I think that God's really working things out. And over this past, it's been about a month that we've been going you know, with the court stuff. And when I start to feel anxiety about court or when I start to feel like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen next or, you know, whatever, I've been getting this subtle reminder. And sometimes it's through people. Sometimes it's a thought. Sometimes it's a dream, but it's just this constant. It's been defeated. I've already defeated this. I've gone before you. Don't worry. And the biggest thing is it's been defeated. And that has been said more times than I can even count. And so then for all this to happen the way that it did yesterday was just like, like it makes sense. And for me, it's like if if I didn't believe in God and Jesus and his miracles before, there's no way for me to deny it at this point. The timing is so specific. Mm -hmm. It is. And so I'm just extremely thankful The biggest thing for me is I just want to encourage people to know that what you've gone through doesn't determine who you are and it doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't mean that you made bad choices. It means that there's something bigger planned for your life and you can overcome it. I think sometimes we just not sell ourselves short. But it can feel everything in us is just screaming that this is the way it's always going to be. And that's a huge lie. It is. And even if it takes some time, it sounds like your healing and your freedom has come in phases. Yeah, absolutely. But each phase felt like a new level of relief. Yes. With some pain, with some struggle, and you're still coming out of it. I hope that this is another major breakthrough for you, as painful as it's been. I think it is. I mean, because even with all this stuff going on, I am still so much more at peace with where my life is and where my kids' lives are and where her life is going to be and where her baby's life is going to be. There's just this overwhelming amount of peace that's hard to explain. And so I know that the healing is there and I can feel it. And one of the biggest things too that I I want to say to the listeners is forgiveness. Because if you hold on to the anger, you're never going to heal. You have to forgive, if not for them, for yourself. And I forgave him a very long time ago. 
And I can see that as something that struck me as I was watching you. I can see you on the screen and you mentioned the recent events with his mom and her king, your car. What you're telling me is not matching the countenance on your face whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Very peaceful, very collected, very matter of fact. And I'm sitting here shocked and stunned (laughs) with what you're telling me. And you're just going, and then this happened almost like it's unfortunate. And now this is what Mm -hmm. we have to do. And you're not angry. There's no anger. Yeah, because you ha- you have to forgive if if not for them, but for yourself. And yeah. the, I think that the longer, because there was a period where I did find myself angry. And the more that I was angry, the worse I felt. And so as I started to forgive, I started feeling better. And I'm like, you know what? It just is. You have to learn to forgive for an apology that you may never receive. I should title the episode that. That's the hardest part and the most important, being able to let go of something that you may never get closure on or you may never get validated or the apology that you deserve and you may never get. Yep. Now you have to set yourself free. Yep, exactly. Thank you for being here, for subscribing and for coming along with me as I learn the world of podcasting in this community takes shape. I have so many incredible stories coming next that I'm honestly having a hard time waiting each week to share the next one with you. If you found value in these conversations and you haven't already left a review, it would mean the world if you took a quick moment to write one or just share this with a friend who would appreciate it. Reviews and word of mouth are what grows a podcast. If you would like to help sustain this project, you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash space and purpose. And all contributions go directly to supporting the ongoing costs of this podcast. If you can relate to any of the stories you've heard so far due to an experience with a manipulative or toxic person, and you feel you've successfully put some distance between you and that experience, you might want to consider reaching out to me via email so we can talk about sharing your story. That email is spaceandpurpose at gmail.com. Now, this isn't necessarily a platform to out someone or air frustrations, but hopefully to validate or affirm someone else that might relate and needs the encouragement. Last but not least, if you found this episode to be impactful, you will always make my day by posting about it in your Instagram stories and tagging me at Space and Purpose. I would love to hear from you. 